Stunt Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Matthew, and I'm back with another Spotlight interview on the Scent Podcast. Uh, apologies if you can hear some rain pattering in the background. It's it's a rainy day in Seoul, and I have the door open. It's, I don't know, it's a really nice vibe. But I'm really excited to share this interview with everyone. Uh, Richard F. Yates is my guest this week. He's an awesome artist and writer, and this man wears many hats, as you'll hear in the actual recording. But we had a really fascinating talk. We covered a ton of ground. Some of the things that we covered include what it means to remember creating as time travel, different processes and philosophies behind note-taking, creation as a game optimizing for simplicity, uh, the Xerox aesthetic prominent in his work, uh, the impact of Dank Rares podcast by Art Gnome, aka Jason Bailey, uh, plus the impact of a project like Maker's Place uh, on an artist like Richard. And we also go into the future of digital collectibles and actually a lot more. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Richard F. Yates. Okay, we're live. This is Matthew, and I'm back with another Sense Spotlight. This week, joining me on the show is artist, creator, writer, poet, editor, teacher. This man has a ton of monikers <laughs> if you check out their Scent profile, but I'm really happy to be joined by Richard F. Yates. Welcome to the show. Yeah, great. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. I've been listening to some of the older episodes. This is a, a great program. Thanks. And as soon as I came across your profile, I was like, oh man, I really, I have to talk to Richard. So <laughs> I'm curious though, um, if you could introduce yourself. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, I am a, a almost 50 year old uh, kid. Uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington state, kind of right on the border of Washington and Oregon in the United States. And uh, believe it or not, I grew up in kind of a logging town. It's, it's like a tiny little town where you have uh, like bars where longshoremen hang out and churches and tattoo parlors and liquor stores. And that's pretty much all we have here. So the idea that I ended up doing art and poetry and writing is, is kind of a strange, it's kind of a strange story in itself because uh, I was... I was, uh, my wife said probably shouldn't mention this, but I'm going to, I'm a, I'm a straight white male who is actually an artist. And the idea that I, uh, I grew up in such a weird claustrophobic kind of backwards town and still ended up luckily finding my way to, you know, punk and Dada and, you know, crypto art and that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of an amazing, you know, it's a rarity because around here it's, it's pretty, I, for an example, if you go into any bar in town, you're going to hear ACDC on the jukebox. And I used to do DJ gigs. I've, I've DJed for years and years since the 80s. And I would do DJ gigs and play techno and disco. And so I show up in a pink boa. And I got guys in, you know, their coveralls just coming from work, giving me dirty looks. And, you know, I'm like, maybe we should unplug and go home for the day and then find out later on that there was some massive brawl and somebody gets stabbed in the parking lot afterwards. So, <laughs> so I grew up in a small town, but I am a voracious reader. And so um, I, I've read 
books on art, uh, books on subcultures. Um, actually went to school for English and anthropology. I have a degree in humanities and uh, started my journey mostly as a, um, a writer uh, through like zines where I would do you know, interviews with interviews with punk bands and stuff and then uh, slowly added in um, artwork and then I got to where I was doing collages and, and things in the zines and, and then discovered blogging. I took a class at WSU Vancouver from a, a professor named Michelle Kendrick who was like a world-round expert in, in online stuff which was pretty new back in there like 2003, 2004, um, I took a class called interactive fiction and learned about blogging. And all of a sudden I'm doing my zines, but now I'm doing them online. So instead of, you know, spending all this money printing copies, I can make my zine creations and then I can scan them or get a photocopy of them or even just draw them directly digitally and then post them to a, a blog. And so I've done, I've done thousands of posts and literally thousands of posts online since, uh, well, I think I got my first computer around 1993 or 94, about 94. I think when my, my older daughter who is now about to turn 27 was a baby and I've been dabbling in online stuff since the days of AOL. And so I've got, you know, my, my, Artwork and poetry and smart-ass comments go back <laughs> 27 years, 20, almost 27 years at this point. Um, so I've had a long time to kind of collect this body of work. But my, uh, my favorite site, the one that I really worked on a long time, was called the Primitive Entertainment Workshop. And um, I was kind of the, the primary editor of it, but I had all these friends that would send me stories and poems and art and drawings, and we'd do manifestos, and we'd pretend to be different people. So we had five or six aliases each and started our own religion. And, you know, we do, I do digital art. We do, you know, uh, eventually we started doing weird things where we would have shows. Cause this was a lot of this was at WSU Vancouver, uh, the Washington state university at Vancouver in the writing center. I found a group of kind of mischievous folks that, that all hung out there. And we uh, did a, a website called the very, very, very short story blog where we would do like, gosh, uh, two and three sentence stories, kind of flash fiction stuff. But we had so many people contribute to this that we ended up making a book out of it. So that, that ended up being one of the first books that I put together as like an independent thing. Um, but we ended up with like 30 different people. And then we had a big party in the writing center and I bought copies and everybody kind of pitched in five bucks and took a copy. And then we'd read the, the different stories to each other. And it was just a lot of fun. It was a lot of, um, a lot of connecting, a lot of encouraging people to, to be creative. And um, now I'm seeing this same sort of thing online. So I've got all these friends who I've never met in real life on like Hive and Twitter and Instagram. And I've you know, got people on Instagram who are like, oh, I really like that drawing. And I'm a really terrible businessman. So I'm like, oh, you like that? Okay, sure. I'll mail it to you. And so I just send them the drawing. And I know you're supposed to do something with money in there somewhere, but I'm really bad at the money part of it. I'm, I'm much more into the sharing and having fun. So um, through all of this, I did mail art and zines and, you know, taught poetry workshops at writing conventions and uh, taught zine making classes at the like Clark County Historical Museum. Um, and all this time I'm writing and drawing every day. And it's just kind of, kind of how I moved my way through uh, 
sharing this sort of compulsion that I have to always write and draw and make these weird little monsters. If it's okay, I want to kind of deep dive onto that point of, of trying to write and draw every day. That's actually something that I, I think almost for two and a half years, almost every single day as well, I try to make a post. I had a former Blogspot blog where, I mean, I had that since 2008. And then when I hopped onto Scent and we kind of opened up the ability for anyone to post, that's, I took my, my daily writing habit over here. And like, to me, I like to think of, of writing as remembering. It's like a way for me to remember like the best parts of a day. But I'm curious, what does writing and drawing mean to you? Um, okay. This is a complex question because uh, I'm, I'm actually trained in anthropology and English and linguistics. So I'm real big into symbols. I'm real big into how people kind of compose ideas, how they, how they understand through story and, and through uh, telling themselves stories, even when they're not necessarily true, the stories can be enough to get you through something. You know, the, the, um, the idea that by writing it down, you're actually thinking through the process. This is one of the tenets of, of when you're teaching writing is you're teaching people that by putting pen on paper or, you know, keyboard most of the time nowadays, I use a pen and paper still in an actual paper notebook. Most people use a keyboard, but it's still, you're writing down ideas, you're crystallizing them. And so you're making something uh, sort of tangible. I mean, even though it's a computer, it's still tangible and there's still chips, there's still computers that house this. So you're making something physical out of something that's non-physical. And so by writing every single day, whether it's, you know, writing about what you've done or I do a lot of experimental writing where it's just kind of the, it's a, a process I learned from the surrealists and, and the situationists where the first word that comes into your head, you know, you write that down as quick as you can, free writing style. But <clears throat> my head is really messed up compared to most people's. So it comes out sounding like severe gibberish. And um, I have a, I have a hive blog where I try and post every single day. And I did, I did miss a day a couple of days ago. And I mean, I'm trying to do hive and scent and Instagram and Ello and WordPress and writing in my paper notebooks. And I send out postcards and mail art and stuff to people just about every day. And then plus I'm editing several books that I've been working through. I, I'm a scattered guy. I'm going in like nine directions at all times, but the constant is this always, I have like a notebook by my bed. So if I get an idea, I write it down. I carry a notebook with me when I go to work. So I have a little sketch pad I can draw or write on. I have, you know, two or three notebooks that I'm working on at any given time, a day planner, and then I write myself lists so that I, I remember things. So I'm, I'm pretty bad at remembering, but I'm really good at writing down. But I like the idea of you're constructing your concepts as you go. So when, uh, when you're writing, you're, you're thinking through the world. You're thinking through how you are living in it. And so for me, writing is, is uh, it's partly, partly remembering for sure. But I'm also, uh, are you familiar with Elizabeth Loftus? She's like a memory expert that was... She's uh, one of the foremost experts on memory, and she's one of the ladies who said eyewitness testimony is actually one of the worst things you can have for evidence because uh -huh. people don't remember correctly. They remember right, right. in flashes, and they remember in constructed images. So you can, over time, change your memory. But I have my journals going all the way back to when I was seven or eight years old. So I can go back and look and go, oh, look, here, I was playing asteroids at my friend's house that day on Atari. And so 
the idea that you can go back to something in time and, and it's not changed by your memory because you have this, this physical thing that you can now look at, you know, a journal, a journal or a photograph or, you know, in the case of a blog post or in the case of, you know, a diary entry um, or a letter that somebody sent you, it's this physical thing that ties you back. It's time travel, you know, it ties you back to this particular moment. And, and by reading, by writing, by drawing, we're, we're kind of composing time as we go and, and instilling it in these little nuggets of, of, you know, my little zine that I made today, there was a four page zine or my, you know, postcard that I send out to somebody for that said some nonsense about being stuck in the bunker or, you know, it's, it's, it's about connecting and remembering and solidifying ideas on paper or, you know, digitally now that we've got the digital. Um, but that, that drawing and writing every day, it's, it, it's not even something that I think about. I just, I get up, I grab a you know, paper. I say, here's something I might think about doing today. I'll hum a tune to myself in the shower and I'll come out and try and write it down as quickly as I can. Um, it all goes into, uh, I, I build out of fragments. And so a lot of my drawings are a sketch, a couple of words from the journal entry that I had going on, maybe another drawing that I was working on that looks kind of neat when it's overlapped or, you know, I do a lot of cut up stuff. So, um, well, you saw the one with the puppet where I was just yeah, exactly. watching this. Yeah, I was just watching this little puppet on TV. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's so funny. And it was, it's singing um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It's an old Sesame Street, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And it just, it just struck me that it was so funny. I took four or five pictures of it with my camera on my phone. I don't know why I did. I was just kind of compelled to do that. And then I thought, well, I could just make this as a little quickie gift, but I'm like, well, now why would I do that? I can take each individual photo and make each one its own drawing. And then when I play them all together, it becomes this goofy little weird stop motion thing of the world kind of falling apart. So that it was built from fragments, you know, each little slide was its own little idea. But then when you put them all together, it becomes something bigger. Yeah. And then if folks want to follow along to what particular work Richard's talking about, it's that's puppet dance animated. Oh yeah. And that, that was the post of yours that, that caught me uh, and brought me in uh, and really helped me find, find you to begin with on scent. I think that was like one of your first couple of posts and I immediately went to maker's place and scooped it up right away. It was, it's awesome. And hearing <laughs> that background is like, okay, that's perfect. And like hearing about the note taking, it, it reminds me of like what I think his name is Diego Fuerte and David Perel. They have this idea of uh, they're heavy into note taking as am yeah. I. They like to think of, of like the note taking act as a creating a second brain that you can refer Ooh. to. Yeah. I love that concept. <laughs> it sounds like Deleuze and Guattari, the, the, the philosophers who talk about rhizomatic thought where uh, the thought itself isn't housed in one person. It's housed in the kind of group collective and in all of the products that the people make. So every image that someone makes that somebody else looks at and goes, Oh, that's awesome. And then they try and do something that's a little bit like it, but it's also got their own spin. It builds this giant kind of concept machine. I love that stuff. Personally, it's, it sounds exactly like how I, how I like to run. Same here. Because I also like to jot everything down. And my note-taking app of choice is uh, Diaro. 
And it just, it's a super simple, streamlined, elegant solution that allows all the notes to be instantly searchable, categorizable. Recently, I've been getting into Roam, R-O-A-M, which has like these deep linking abilities. So you can go deeper into your thoughts and backwards out into like uh, previous concepts that you used uh, or referenced. Yeah, that's great. Those are, yeah, those are my two note-taking favorites. I love it. Yeah, you'd be you'd be shocked. Mine is piles. I have uh, banker boxes full of notebooks going back, like literally going back to like 1980. And I just dig through piles. And you know, sometimes literal piles, <laughs> like literal, like stacked up piles. And I have I've hundreds of notebooks um, that are you know drawings and sketches and and scraps of poetry and uh, and then this is what I did today type stuff. Uh, I love it because sometimes you re- I re- have my notebook from when I was seven, eight years old and I read the entries in there and they're so funny because they're things like, I finally got my cards back, but I don't remember what cards it was. I don't know why they were gone. I mean, but it's so great because it's this mystery now that, you know, I recorded something that was really important to me at the time, but now all I get is this great little glimpse of something mysterious. And to me, I think that's a lot more fun. That fragmented nature of it's just fascinating. Oh. And well, that kind of goes into the next question. I think that you partially answered it, but I'm curious to, to ask it in a more pointed way. I like to imagine that every artist is in their work in some way. <laughs> so when you look at your work that you shared, but like what part of yourself do you find is, is reflected in the work that you end up sharing? Okay. Uh, Well, somebody has once pointed out that almost everything I do, whether it's a snake or a ghost or an eyeball or whatever, it's all kind of a self-portrait. And a lot of what I'm working on with the visual art in particular, because I'm not trained as an artist. I mean, everything that I've learned, I've learned from, you know, looking at Jack Kirby comic books and, and checking out Juan Miro and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Ray Johnson and, you know, collage artists and painters. And I'm looking at stuff. I don't, I've never been taught how to do it properly. So what I do with my art is actually kind of a, it's all a game. It's all an experiment. And one of my favorite things, and do you know, like um, Charles Schultz and Bill Watterson, the guys who did peanuts and, Calvin and Hobbes, I'm always shocked at how much emotion, how much, um, oh, I don't know what you'd call it, how much depth you can get with such a simple line. You know, one little curl here, and now all of a sudden, this is a really sad person. One little note here, and all of a sudden, we know that they're really excited. And, you know, that kind of stuff fascinates me, how little you can do and convey so much. And so with like I, a lot of people probably look at my stuff and just go, that's just a junky little, you know, uh, a sketch that he did in like two minutes. And I, I would argue that they're right. But my experiment is how much nuance can I get in five lines? And then I use, I, I usually draw on cardboard or you know paper, something rough. I like cardboard because of the, the visual noise. Um, and then I'll draw real small, like maybe, two inches by two inches or, you know, five or six centimeters um, square. And then I draw real small and then I photograph it and blow it up. So all of the little chunks in the cardboard show up as noise. I just, I really like that, that look. And this probably goes back to when I was a teenager skateboarding around listening to punk rock is that, that uh, 
what you call a Xerox aesthetic, that, that look of the noise. And we didn't want it back then, but now I'm nostalgic for it. And I wish, you know, I loved making flyers. So, you know, I'm, I'm making, I'm adding the visual noise to my stuff now. But so I'm taking these little tiny drawings and I'm seeing, you know, in like a two inch square, how much nuance can I actually get out of like a facial feature or an eyeball or, you know, I draw a stick figure, but it's got just a little bit of a curve to the neck. And then I'll write something like uh, hypocrite on the top of it. And you're like, Oh man, uh, most people will look at that and go, that's just ridiculous. But to me, it's like, well, is he bowing in shame? Is he, you know, really sad? Is he the victim of a hypocrite? So it's kind of this game. It's this, is. um, the reflection of the idea that you can do a whole lot with just a little bit. And I like to see how much I can get into, you know, an abstract drawing, you know, how much emotion can you get when there's no actual content that you can recognize? And I mean, to me, that's, that's a really fascinating game, but in a sense, you know, all of my monsters, the snakes, the bunnies, the, you know, the bees, the, the spiders, I, those are the kind of the things that I draw over and over and over again, like cartoons. So, um, those are all kind of self-portraits. They're all, uh, what would you call it? Persona. The, the snake is the um, wise one, but he's also kind of a trickster. The bunny is the, is the tough one, which is funny. The bunny is like a, uh, I had a character called Psychic Bunny. Uh, one of these days I'll tokenize that. I've got a, a little animated gif that I did where it's a bunny sitting there and all of a sudden this third eye opens up and the whole screen turns to flame. And I, to me, that was really funny, but um, I, I haven't tokenized that one. It's something I did five or six years ago. And now that I know about this tokenizing thing, it's, it's kind of fun to make it and, and uh, share it with people. But the, the idea there is they're all me and it's all, you know, it's simple because I have simple pleasures, but it's also how much nuance can you get in the fewest lines? Yeah, do you know Juan Miro? Are you familiar with his work at all? Uh, he was sometimes associated with the surrealists. He was Spanish, um, but he was actually kind of grafted onto the surrealists by Andre Breton. He was actually more of an experimenter, and he started doing you know normal portraits and things, but he got weirder. I'm sorry, weirder and weirder and weirder. And then by the end of his life, he was doing these just blobs and little lines and color fields. And it's, it's like he went from being able to paint absolute masterwork perfection, the kind of thing you'd expect to see in a museum, to these blobby things that look kind of like a little kid did them. And how could somebody who was that genius and that brilliant go to such reduction? And it's because he was experimenting with how little he could get with just three blue blobs and a blob of red. And it, to me, that I love that, that, uh, the challenge of it. It's fascinating to me. So yeah, that's something, that's something that each of my pieces is part of the game. It's a part of the experiment. No, I, I love that. <laughs> Again, like that, that simplicity, that the elements of the surrealist that you take, where it's kind of like the first thing that comes and you put it down, like as, right. as few lines as possible. That's something that, you're immediately struck by when you look at your work, you can, and especially hearing you talk about it, you can see like in that moment, there's this part of you that you just want to express and get out. And it's just like, boom, he's kind of out. Yeah. You can feel that quickness uh, of your, your process almost as you're, you're looking at the finished product. Yeah. And I know it's not, it's not a common, I mean, when you look at a lot of the digital art, uh, especially the, you know, the really 
the stuff that goes for big dollar. It's mm-hmm. usually really processed, really technically skilled. Um, but if that's just not the game I'm playing. I'm playing a totally different game than they are. Um, and I mean, I'm also really, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know everybody says this, but I'm not in it for the money so much. I mean, if I could make enough to where I could let my wife retire, that'd be awesome. But I don't, I'm not in it to make the money. I'm in it to kind of teach people. Remember the punk aesthetic is you're really bad, but you're having so much fun that it doesn't matter that you're bad. And I mean, I'm not saying that I'm a bad artist because I mean, I think I have a pretty good grasp of color and I think I have a pretty good grasp of concept. And I think concept is something that's, that's kind of lacking in a lot of the really pretty work um, because it looks great. But it's also just kind of sitting there, you know, that once you looked at it, you, it's, it's kind of over. And I've done, <laughs> I've done pieces before where I put 15 different symbols in it and I expect people to go, okay, so this symbol, this symbol, and then uh, it ends up being a big code. And I'm like, okay, who's going to be the first one to crack the code and tell me what the secret message was? And nobody ever does. And I mean, it sits there for four years on my website. And no one has ever even caught that there was any kind of cipher involved or anything. And I'm like, ah, well, it was fun to make. And so at least it was fun to make. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like, it, it can be simple, but if you look at your work, it's, I mean, especially the gifts or even just the still images, like there's a million different parts. There's all these colors. Like you, if you really take a second to think about it more, you're like, Oh my God, like there's a lot going on here. And you yeah. referenced like Schultz and Watterson. I like to think about yes. even like Gary Larson and Farsight. Oh yeah. I love Farsight. Yeah. Simple words to kind of change how you look yes. at and perceive the image too, where I like how you combine your writing as well. He's a huge influence on me, honestly, um, because he has these great ones where there's one that it makes no sense. It's a cop and they're sitting there watching somebody and it's a person in an alley with a duck in his hand. It says they're handing over the duck now. And you're like, what the hell does that mean? It's perfect because <laughs> it's totally pointless, but it's hilarious. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that irreverence. It's, it's really perfect. And yeah, well, you, you talked about how you like to use cardboard to kind of bring out a certain aesthetic. I'm curious, like, um, like what are your actual tools that you use to make a lot of your work? Oh, um, okay. Yeah. The, I do, I cut up a lot of cereal boxes. Um, cause it's, it's something that we have. I mean, I paint, I'm sorry. I got somebody making noise outside. Um, I paint, I use pens, I use Sharpies, um, I do collage. I do a lot of different uh, multimedia stuff to start my base image um, or like a sketch or a drawing or something. And then I'll add colors or I'll add paint or I'll add something. Then I'll, I'll photograph it with my phone. And like I said, kind of dirty it up a little. And then after that, I go in with uh, usually really cheap programs like paint or like uh, sketch or some free thing that I got that I downloaded um, and then I'll add color fields and, you know, maybe a little bit of a wash here and there. Uh, if I'm really feeling weird, I'll add some super bright. You know, the, I don't like using the effects where it, you click a button and all of a sudden it's a huge design. I, I feel like that's kind of cheating. And I know it's not. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to put anybody down who uses, you know, fields or anything like that. Cause I understand that there's an art to it, but for me, I like it to be me who did the, the, the splashing. And so um, it usually starts as a physical drawing. 
or a physical painting and then I tweak it digitally, either the colors or I'll add stuff. Or um, another thing I like to do is I'll draw over the top of the image with the kind of cheesy pixel brushes that they have on, on cheap programs. And I, I really like doing that. That it, uh, the, the puppet one again has a ton of stuff that I just drew right from my phone onto the, the still images from the TV. And uh, I, it's a good, to me, it's a neat contrast of the, the real world is blurry and kind of, uh, it's not, it's not uh, clearly defined. Um, and, but it's got, it's got nuance and shadow and it's got different colors and textures. And then computer art is usually really red, blue, green, yellow, and, you know, very specific. This line is a square. This line is a circle. This image is a, you know, this, uh, I, it's, this sprite is these 12 little dots. And I mean, to me, the contrast when you put those two things together is kind of exciting and fun. So yeah, I, I used physical and then digital to, to embellish. And then, well, we've been kind of skirting around this question and I know you've referenced your, your tokenizing process in bits and pieces, but we heard your creative journey at the top of our conversation, but now like kind of finish that story out and tell us how you got to where you are today. <laughs> okay. So uh, I've did for years and years, I've been doing blogs and, and, you know, LO and, and WordPress and, you know, sharing stuff this way and that way. And I got an email in September of, I think it was 2018. I got an email from a guy named uh, Rioma Ito uh, from Maker's Place. And he sent two or three messages saying he'd seen my artwork on LO and was wondering if I wanted to try this new site they were working on called Maker's Place. And I'm like, oh, this is obviously a scam. I mean, no one is going to want to take artwork that looks like a scribbled stick figure and put that on. So I, I immediately kind of blew it off. And he, he sent me two or three different messages. And finally, I'm like, well, let me take a look at this. And I'm like, what the hell is an Ethereum? What the hell is a crypto? And I, I, did what I usually do because remember I'm trained in, in academics and research I researched the hell out of it and I read you know hundreds of websites and I listened to uh, the Dank Rares podcast you know the Art Gnome uh, podcast oh yeah 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 and then all of a sudden I got fascinated I'm like oh this is a real thing I don't think this guy's just trying to get me to send him $25 startup cash this is really and so I started experimenting on Maker's Place when it was still in beta, <clears throat> and, and I did maybe 15, 20 pieces, and they pay, the, they pay the fees for me, so I don't have to pay the gas fees. And so they decided when they went live, they just paid to have all my stuff that I'd been goofing around uh, brought over into the actual website. I'm like, I, you guys are really going to put like I did my very first drawing was a pencil sketch on a scrap of paper and you can actually see I, I think I put it on scent actually you can see the paper because I just drew something and took a picture of it and said yeah let's see what they think of this and I, I figured it was just going to be they're like okay well thanks uh, we were we were uh, we were going to give this a try but you're clearly not taking it seriously but I did um, I did post a few things and then they kept them and I'm like well I guess they guess they aren't bothered by it and then later on Danny ended up buying one of my drawings during like the COVID-19 auction that they had and I'm like the guy that's really pretty cool and he's like oh yeah it was great it's a it's an uh, acrylic painting that I did but I photographed it and then I just 
ratcheted the hell out of the contrast so it looks really alien. Um, and I mean, it's not like 90% of what's up on, on uh, Maker's Place because, you know, most of the stuff there, those are real artists, you know, real painters, real, you know, um, and I always think of myself as more of an art prankster. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that I'm doing is kind of more of a conceptual project, somewhere, somewhere between mail art and zines and comics and digital art. And, I mean, it's some sort of a collision in there. Um, that's what I do. And so it sort of shocked me when not only did they not immediately kick me off of Maker's Place, but they're like, oh, yeah, this is great stuff. Keep, you know, keep going. And um, I've, I've had pretty pretty serious support from them. So uh, most of the stuff that I've, I've done, I've just, I've just stuck with Maker's Place. And I mean, I have like a, a Hive blog and I've used Publish OX and I've used a few other things, but Maker's Place is where I do most of my NFTs. I think I've tried, I did Rarible a couple there just to see. And it's really cool, but it's uh, because I, there's no editorial pressure. You know, with Rarible, you can just, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Um, but then you got to pay the gas fees. And, you know, right now gas fees are kind of expensive. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really grateful to the people at Maker's Place that, that, you know, they will cover the stuff. And, you know, in my defense, my stuff does sort of sell every once in a while, <laughs> which you know, that's the, that's the sort of surprising part is there are, must be at least a few people out there who are getting the game, you know, who are, who are understanding what it is that I'm, that I'm doing, or at least they're mystified enough to, to buy it and think, well, you said you, you liked the, the puppet one at least. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I scooped that. And I think I scooped two other pieces of yours over on Maker's oh, Place. You <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a public profile over there. It, it just comes up as anonymous. I think I tried oh. to set it up one day and it was just like a step too far for me. It was like a little bit too annoying to do um yeah i have public accounts over on super rare and, and known origin though yeah you know you uh you mentioned trust wallet too that, that you that's where you look at your your uh nfts the nifties yeah like on mobile that's where i do and then of course crypto voxels i have uh, an art stadium <laughs> kind of set up where yeah. i have like all my work displayed i love i love that context to yeah consume. crypto voxels that's a really interesting thing i mean there because maker's place has a deal and then yeah. uh, conlon conlon has done some really neat meetups and things there and i i sometimes try to sit in on those but uh, if you can imagine an old 50 year old guy with a big gray beard does not really do computers very well so i have a really old laptop that's you know uh, my my machine has a hard time keeping up with the uh, the meetings when you get 15 people there, it starts to really log on, lag on me. Um, but I, I think it's a brilliant thing. I love the concept, you know, of these digital uh, online museums and stuff. That's it's a fantastic because again, I'm real big into the sharing element of it. So a place where you can buy, you know, these, these digital tokens and then show them to other people that that want to come look. That's fantastic, you know. Because the other the other option is to print them out and put them up on a wall somewhere, but then the only people who can see them are the ones that can walk to that you know that particular wall. So I love the idea of the digital museum. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and then shout out to Kanlin's Gangnam Art Club meetup. I've been going there since they started back in January too, and that's sort of like what inspired uh-huh. me to create the the weekly virtual meetup that we call the oh, Web wow, yeah, yeah. in Crypto Voxels too. And that's like a layer more than what, what they do with the R club. They just rely on the written chat function. There it was a 
adding the voice element, allowing people to talk with their avatars in front of one another in that kind of like weird spatial virtual realm. It's, it's really an amazing experience. And especially when you're talking about pieces of art that people are are taking great care to uh, frame in that sort of setting. It's, it's awesome. They're, 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 you know, creating around the artwork, which I think is, is really cool. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, But I'm curious, like, um, I, I know you've had, you have some opinions, I think of a lot of the work, in the space but looking forward like where do you see the quote-unquote crypto art movement heading well that's yeah that's a that's a good question you know everybody's talking about how um this idea that the the nfts that digital commodities that digital collectibles are going to be a big thing and i'm i'm starting to believe it because i saw just a week or two ago, well, this is this is a weird thing, but do you remember Garbage Pail Kids? There were these goofy little uh, trading cards that you used to be able to get. And I mean, I love trading cards, but they were these like really yucky kind of drawings of little dolls, um, but the tops put out, and they were big in the 80s for a while. Well, they did um, digital-only versions of them, a, a series on the Wax blockchain, I think it right, was. Right, 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 yeah. And it sold out in 28 hours. And I mean, I looked the night before and I'm like, well, there's about 6,000 left. Yeah, I'll probably get one of those in the morning. And I got up and they were gone. And so um, that idea that people are accepting digital as a possibility now is pretty fascinating. And it's, um, it's something that I couldn't have imagined even just three or four years ago that people would be like, well, I'm going to pay money to own a digital thing. But it seems to really be catching on. And the neat thing about it is if you, if you think about it, most people take pictures with their phone and you look at your family photos on your phone. You know, you have uh, emails and stuff, you Facebook, you have whatever other Instagram, whatever other site you use. All of the pictures are seen in, in these little electronic devices. So why not have, you know, a permanent way to collect these and catalog them? Um, and again, Art Gnome, the the podcast and, and the writings that, that uh, he's done have really influenced my thinking on this because he's an art historian. So, you know, he's, he's into things like uh, cataloging physical works on the blockchain and, and uh, splinter sales where you can take a Mona, uh, not the Mona Lisa, but something famous and buy like one one thousandth of it. And that kind of odd digital where it's, it's clearly, to me, that's almost certainly uh, a money-making thing. And again, I'm not a, I'm, I know money is important and people have to eat, but I like the ideas and I like the idea of sharing art. And I think this idea of digital collectibles and digital, you know, museums and this swapping and, you know, that, I think it's fascinating. I really do think it's great. Um, as far as what is being made, um, if you go, to the different sites, you know, the, there's a sort of a different mood for each place, you know, maker's place has a lot of, um, I don't want to say upscale, but you know what I mean? Like, like the, the fancy stuff. It's very uh, polished. Whenever I yeah, go to very, maker's place, it's super polished. Like yeah, every single piece. For me, yeah. <laughs> Everything else there is super polished. Um, 
but then um, Rarible, you know, is is weird little like a toaster or something that somebody took a picture of and it glitches. <laughs> and I, to, to me, that's neat too. I, I love the idea of, you know, I, I grew up on collectibles though, you know, Viewmasters and Pez dispensers and uh, trading cards and comic books and magazines. And, you know, they they start off as trash that people buy because they want a momentary novelty, a momentary thrill. And then most people just either chuck them or, you know, their parents throw them away when they're not looking. Um, but then over time, they start to become more valuable as people go, well, I don't have that anymore, but I would really like to reread that thing I had when I was, in, you know, a, a little kid, or I really want to play that game again, or I really want to see this toy that I had, you know, Shogun Warriors that I had back in 1977. And then all of a sudden you realize well, that's like $400 now. And I think that's what's going to happen with a lot of this artwork. And a lot of it's going to fade away because there are comic books that came out in the thirties and forties and fifties that are worth nothing. But the good ones are worth astronomical amounts now, way more than I can afford. And you know, that that's, that's probably what's going to happen with the digital collectibles. Um, and as far as what, what you can do with them, like I said, I don't care. I, I love anybody who's willing to take the time and the effort to, to make something. And there may be, you know, not much of a marketplace for uh, a little glitchy piece, but I like the idea that people are doing it. You know, the trash art movement, that, that kind of stuff is really fun to me. Um, because it's, it's a game, it's having a good time. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's enjoying the medium while it's still cheap enough to be able to do that. Cause you know, for what, three bucks, four bucks, something like that. You can put something on wearable, anything basically on wearable. And that's really cool. Um, but like I said, I'm, I feel really lucky and, and grateful to the people at Maker's Place because um, they, it is a curated site, but that stuff, the, the costs can be prohibitive if you're making a lot of stuff, um, which is in one of the main reasons I use cardboard instead of canvas. I mean, I feel weird if I buy a $30 canvas and then I do some five minute piece on it. I'm like, ah, now if this doesn't sell, I'm out 40 bucks, you know, <laughs> but it's good fun though. I mean, and I'm, I'm all for the crypto art, I think. And I think there's more to it than just the making of the art. A lot of it is like the meetups, the uh, trading images back and forth on, on, uh, with the various wallets and programs and, you know, people doing their own coins, you know, skinny does his skull coin and stuff. I love that. And, and, you know, uh, you have Twitter and Instagram and all these places where people are, are connecting and they're building these sort of weird little, it's like a weird little subculture. It's a crypto subculture and you have, you know, you have the stars, but you also have all the little players and all the little players are part of it too. It's just like punk or fluxus or, you know, uh, Dada, everybody was doing their thing and some people get famous, but it's all of the little voices together that I think make this such a neat, unique moment to be yes. involved in this particular thing. Totally agree. It's that cauldron of experimentation that's constantly bubbling up and exactly. all the parts are contributing to those bubbles that are popping and, people that are getting expired by what's going on. It's, it's this beautiful experiment. I, I love the whole space. And it's like, you yeah, don't talk too. about one part without referencing all the other parts that you, you had uh, alluded to. That's awesome. Yeah. And, well, and I like that it doesn't necessarily stop at the computer screen too. Cause like I said, I have people that I mail them my original drawings or, you know, I do um, every summer I grab a blanket 
and I throw blankets on the ground in the front lawn and I take all of my digital stuff and have it printed down at the copy shop. And so I've got uh, 35 paintings and drawings and, and digital works sitting on the lawn and I'll sell them for 10 bucks a piece in a little dollar store frame. And I have people that walk by and they'll pick up, you know, a couple of UFOs and a snake and we usually get pizza and my daughter brings over, you know, some Scentsy or some, you know, handmade crafts that she's done. And we have a big old art party out of it. And then I've, I've thought about making pamphlets like a little mini zine or a booklet that says, Hey, have you heard of crypto art and see how many people that I can get interested just by passing out stuff as people walk by on the sidewalk. Cause I mean, it's such a fun game. I think everybody, everybody would enjoy it if they knew about it. I wish there was a way to get, you know, to get it out beyond just the, the little click. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's a, it's a function of time and you can start to see it bubbling over from this like quote unquote little niche of ours. And I think, I mean, this is just my surmise, but it's going to be the more like crypto adjacent portions of the space that will get it first. You can see people in DeFi that are starting to kind of have their ears prick up other people that have been long in crypto that are starting to kind of like take this space a little bit more seriously. Again, like the numbers are what initially catch a lot of people, but then you kind of deep dive into it. And it's this like incredibly human, vibrant, exciting punk, like rock, like all the, all the cool shit that people look for and, and something new happening. Well, again, it's that rhizome. It's that, it's that collective of ideas all meshing together and throbbing together. It's great stuff perfect way to kind of tie that back in and as we (laughs) head to the the end of the conversation i know you're on a million different platforms and i feel like it'd be awesome if you could share like the handles uh and the sites that you like people to follow you at yeah most of the time i'm richard f yates no spaces um and there's the f is because there's an old writer from like world war ii era called richard yates who's already way more famous than me so i had to add the f in the middle uh, but I'm on uh, Hive is where I post every single day. Uh, and Hive is a, a offshoot of Steam. There was some uh, controversy about Steam was purchased by uh, Justin's son. And it, it's kind of it's kind of getting a little bit weird there. So now we're now we've moved off into Hive, which is, is it's a social media crypto platform. Um, but I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and I'm on um Hello. I have a lot of stuff on all those places. Um, and it's just, like I said, Richard F Yates, no space, uh, no underscores or anything. Um, and if uh, people want to say, Hey, I'll be happy to exchange some words. And if they want to send a postcard to me, I would love to send them back a handmade postcard. That's one of my favorite things in the world to do. I like the That's mail. Great. I like the post. Yeah. Old snail mail stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Cool. Well, Richard, it was fantastic to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a lot going on, so to squeeze me into everything that you have going on and all your creations, (laughs) it's really an honor. So thank you so much and keep on creating. I will do that. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Matthew again, and I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Richard F. Yates as much as I did recording it. As always, if you're not subscribed to the You Deserve a Drink podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen and recommend this conversation to a friend whom you think would enjoy 
these sorts of interviews. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be hearing spotlights featuring Fabiano Speziati, the Claude master himself, as well as a new artist to appear relatively recently on scent, Lucid House, whose collage work has really caught my eye. So look out for that. And I hope that everyone's summers, or if you're living in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, winters have gotten off to a good start. And we'll see you on the flip side. Sent on. Sent.